Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Ann Roby, an HR advisor and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. And I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. Today, I am super excited that my friend Aisha Pons is on with us to talk about her perfectly imperfect journey. And I feel a little bit like we were fated to be connected. I've known her for quite a while. She's done a couple of programs that I have given, but I actually could not remember where we first met. So I actually went and looked it up. And Aisha, I don't know if you know this. You were at a breakout session I did at a women's health conference in 2008. Wow. I know. And you signed up for my newsletter. And so that was how we initially were in super loose, connected state, I would say. But we really met 10 years ago in a workshop that I was giving. It was a yoga, smart goals program, and you took it with your mom. You guys walked in and you were sitting near the front and you just have a smile that lights up the room. (laughs) I was so struck by your smile and by your energy. And then the program was over. It was like three or four hours, right? And you guys left. And then fast forward a few years and I was ready to pilot a 12-week program called the Bold Move Coaching Program. And my coach had recommended, which was such a smart suggestion, that I think about who I wanted to have in the pilot and reach out to them. And so I was just sitting and thinking about it and you popped into my head. And you and I had a no contact, right, up to that point. But the coolest thing was I reached out to you and you emailed back and said, oh my God, I just pulled out your contact information. I was gonna reach out. Love those serendipitous moments. It was crazy. And so we, right, we got to know each other a lot better in that 12-week program. And then like three months ago, I reached out just to partly reconnect. And I was thinking you'd be awesome on the podcast. And you're like, that is so crazy. (laughs) I literally was just thinking about you. So I do feel like we were fated to be connected. And so we are really excited to hear about your perfectly imperfect journey. Just a couple of things I'll share before I turn it over to you. So Aisha has spent much of her career in the healthcare industry, and I think the education industry before that. The last 12 years, she's been at Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina, my healthcare insurer, and her expertise is on the operations side, very customer-facing, and we're just going to have a little moment of celebration here because less than a month ago, uh, she was promoted to head of customer service. Woo-hoo! And so, woohoo! Congratulations. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So exciting. And so, on that note, Aisha, I'm going to turn it over to you to hear a little bit about your journey and some of the twists and turns that have led you to where you are today. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Sherry. To hear you talk about just us. Connecting is a part of that journey. It's a Mm. huge part of that journey. One that I credit many times when I'm talking with my mentees to say, like, get you somebody outside of your company, outside (laughs) of, you know, your circle to really be able to to kind of impart a different aspect or vantage point into your world. And and you've certainly done that for me. So Mm. thank you, first Mm. off. So it's it's not even been a month yet. I have this new job. I'm so 
excited. People keep saying congratulations. And I'm like, it's the condolences. <laughs> like, you think you know the job, but then there are these other pieces that your boss has been hiding from you that are also part of the job that are now yours to right. contend with. Well, and it's a big job. It is. It is. So I will say this. Blue Cross Blue Shield is a 5,000 plus employee company and customer service is largely upwards of a thousand of those employees. Wow. And so, you know, when you think about the magnitude of that responsibility, it is, it is a great one and one that I don't take lightly. But when I look back at my journey, I could see how I arrived here very Mm. clearly. Of course, at the time, I didn't didn't know that, but I can totally see how I arrived here because the work that you do when you work for a health payer is very much heart and mind work. It is not, you know, just, you know, the selling of widgets. And I always say flippantly, we're not selling cable over here. We we got, you know, life and death conversations yeah. that you're having with people on a day-to-day basis. And you don't want to be a hurdle. You want to be a conduit. And so we want to advocate on their behalf. We want to be a conduit for the health care that they're seeking to ensure that they receive it. Because healthcare is complicated. It's complex. It's hard for us to sometimes navigate. It's become highly political in recent years. And so when you add all of that and you just have, I'll say, a regular person who's just like, I just need this thing. I don't know all of the laws around it or, you know, regulatory requirements. I just want to get this procedure done and I want to know how much I owe or will have to pay out of pocket. Can I afford it? It just gets down to that and having that, you know, interaction with them. So I'm excited and humbled by the opportunity to say the least to do this work and really, you know, be a part of a leadership team that is working to bring frontline people who are doing this work. They're doing the hard work of taking these calls and, and managing these interactions every day and making sure that they're empowered and they're undergirded to do this work and and show up as their best selves all the time. So when I think about my journey in arriving here, you know, I've been with Blue Cross, as Sherry said, for several years now. And when I came in, I was, I just was a leader over a small team of technical writers, Mm. uh, which is kind of my background. So my education is in technical communication And it really gave me this flexibility to work in any industry, which is what I wanted. I wanted to be a specialist that had the ability to be a generalist was my whole, that was my spiel back in the day. Well, how did you come up with that? I mean, that's pretty like forward thinking, a specialist that can be a generalist. Like where did that even come from? I I would definitely say, so I was a junior in college Uh and I changed my major. What did you change it from? So I was a technical photography major. And at the time, I really wanted to do work that like Pixar does today. It didn't exist back then. Mm. But I knew I wanted to do like imagery and it be on TV. And I, you know, wanted to really do work that educated people in that space. And at the time, the industry just wasn't there. And my counselor at the time 
was like, we, there's these great opportunities at Kodak. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want to work at Kodak. Yeah, like, I don't want to work at Kodak. <laughs> and so it was just stifling. I had a, I, I really at that time recognized my personality. I'd taken some minor classes in communication at that point. And so I was really starting to get this Aisha, you like to talk. You like to be in front of people. You're very like, people would say, you're so charismatic and all this stuff. And I'm like, yes, I am. You know, oh, I will own that. Own it. Yes. And I don't see myself working behind a machine, being charismatic to a machine. Right. Living in Rochester, New York. Yes. Like that. It was cold and dark and unsunny. All the things that were not me. Right. And I really leaned into this communications thing and thought, maybe I should just do this. Hmm. And so being at a technical institute, it was technical communication. So they were always these conduits back then of really just developing technical writers who could work in engineering or science or biomedical fields and things like that. And so that's what we were groomed for. And me having this technical photography background I felt like I had this specialty to your question, Anne, of like, okay, I can kind of do this and explain it to people and do that very well. But while kind of being able to fluidly be able to move between industries, right? Engineering, biomedical, and be able to do it well. So that was my my thing. And so as I moved into this field, it was just doing that. And, and it was a lot of questions of like, nobody changes their major in their junior year. You're going to add a year to your time. And I was like, yeah, I'm good with that. Because I'm not going to hold my life to a decision I made when I was 17. Yeah. That Aisha didn't know she knew, you know, knows what I know today. And so I really just leaned into that. So I want to jump in there for one second, because that was a really brave decision and a really confident decision for someone in their early 20s to make and to say, I'm not going to hold myself to this thing I decided at 17 years old. Correct. And that that was, you know, I don't know where that came from. I, I think, you know, sometimes God just gives you that wisdom and insight and you mm-hmm. have to trust it. And sometimes, many times, even today, I'll speak it before I'm like, wow, Girl, that was a good idea. So very easy not to take credit for it. But I think, you know, even in my upbringing, growing up in New York City, you have to be quick at thought, get out of dangerous situations, make quick decisions. And I felt it in that moment that it was important for me, if I'm going to think about the rest of my life, that I don't have to behold myself to a decision I made as a teenager who didn't know what I knew at that moment and to pivot. And so I did. And then it really, you know, leaned into this, how can I be a specialist and a generalist at the same time so that I have the flexibility to move through what I wanted to do and also not be pigeonholed because I, you know, came from parents who were working at a company for 25 years or 30 years. And I just didn't see me doing that. I was just like, that is, I don't want to do that. Yeah. It's a different world too, right? It is. It is. 
well, how has that skill of being able to pivot, how has that served you throughout your career? Because, that, you know, as Sherry said, like you developed that really young. So where else has that shown up for you in your career? I would say there were two main areas that it has shown up. Professionally, I would say it's always easiest to pivot. Mm. It has always been easier for me to pivot professionally than personally. Yeah. <laughs> so I hear you. <laughs> yes, yes. I think many of us can be the these architects of like work and like let this is the plan. We're gonna map this out. Boom, we're doing this. But when it comes to the life, you're like, yeah. well, but I feel this way. <laughs> right. I don't. Yep. I don't let yep. feelings come in when it comes to business. And so I think that's part of it. And I get a lot of that from my dad. He's mm. very, he's a veteran, very military oriented and my biggest fan. And Aww. I'm a daddy's girl. So love it. He, he's always been that, that cornerstone or that, that person I would go to, to say, and he's not corporate at all. Uh, he's a, a very proud retired U.S. postal worker. And we would have these totally corporate conversations about, should I do this? Should I not do this? And, you know, and his, his biggest saying was that, if you're a girl, then someone will make the decision for you. But mm. if you're a woman, you will make your own decision. Ooh, oh, I love, I love that. that. <laughs> and what young girl, woman doesn't want to hear that? Like, Especially I, from dad, right? Yes. A little bit of old school dad in some ways, right? Like how forward thinking of him. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. So that was always my like North Star to say they are telling you you have to stay here. So in jobs too, Anne, right? So even in when I've always moved to another organization, everything was going really well at where I was. Yep. There was no like red flags or things for me, but the opportunity that was being presented to me forced me to think about it and pivot. And so really whatever fear or anxiety I would feel, it's about, okay, well, let's dig into that. What's this about? Let's pros and con it out. Let's do the list. Let's do all those things. But I don't really see a reason why we shouldn't pivot. And so I'll say this other part too, when it's within your control, the change is in your control. It's, it seems easier. Mm -hmm. There was a time when I had to pivot and it wasn't in my control. I mm -hmm. was Laid off in 2007, there was the huge recession that yep. was happening. And I credit being a part of the, what I call the early group. I was, it was in 2007, the spring of 2007. And I feel like we were the first wave of people to get laid off. 2008 was just brutal, yep. but I was so thankful that I got laid off in 2007 ahead of that, that curve because it forced me to pivot and separate. And at that time, I had been working for a consulting firm in the higher education space for about 12 or 13 years. Mm -hmm. And so I was climbing the little corporate ladder. I was a, a manager at that time. So I'm, I'm getting it. I'm like got director in the sites. So I'm, yep. we're getting there, Aisha. Two more years, you're going to be there. And I was let go. And I felt like I was let go physically, emotionally, mentally let go. Like released, do you mean like? Completely released. Yeah. Because I felt like the Aisha that is, you know, Gerald's daughter mm -hmm. and the Aisha team manager at this consulting firm 
even though they were one in the same, I, I, I had really relinquished Gerald's daughter to just be this manager, right? It was mm. all about that title. It was all about the position I held and the work I did and how I traveled and did all of these things. And so my identity was so rooted into the work that I lost my own identity. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's interesting because part of what you're saying is this thing that happens to a lot of people, right? A mm-hmm. lot of people get, get, I've been laid off. Like it, it happens to a lot of people can be quite devastating. Mm-hmm. And yet what I'm hearing you say was actually a release. And you really saw it as an opportunity for growth in what was a pretty cool company yeah. and you liked it, but the gift that they gave you, the yeah. gift in this hard thing that happened yeah. is it opened up lots of other possibilities for you. Absolutely. And on top of that, which I think is the most important is that it forced me to see myself differently that yeah. here's Aisha, her gifts and talents, skills and knowledge. And then here are the jobs that are out there, right? right? Like, yes, you're doing the work, but you, you are not in and of it. That's not who you are in, in your everything. So using a word like release, it really kind of uncoupled, right? Mm-hmm. That identity. I feel like I went through an identity identity crisis, for lack of a better phrase, of really understanding that let's dust ourselves off. I was in graduate school at the time. I was like, what can we use with this time? To your point, Anne, right? So let's, maybe we can accelerate graduate school and really take a lesser demanding job Mm -hmm. and support yourself that way. And let's power through graduate school and get this done. And then we'll figure out the next job at the other side of this. And that's what I did. That's exactly what I did. Awesome. So I want to dig a little bit into two things that you said. One was you made the comment, I'm so thankful I was at the front end of the layoffs. Mm -hmm. And I think that just really speaks to some of what you've already been talking about is this very forward looking, you haven't used the word optimistic, but I mean, it's really your ability to see that, wow, there was some real benefit Mm -hmm. of being at the front end of this. Mm -hmm. And I'm really thankful for that. But the other piece is you made the comment that it forced you to look at this. And I would push back a little bit and say, you grabbed the opportunity to do it. I like that. I like that. I like that. It feels, you know, I think for me, one of the images I will never get out of my head at that time was the layoffs were just happening week after week after week. And and so there was like hundreds of people unemployed who had never been unemployed before. And I went to this event that was like a networking kind of opportunity. And, you know, people were dressed to the nines. You could tell they they been let go from some really highly compensated positions. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm in here with them. You know, like it was, I'm never going to get a job, that kind of thing. But it was this real awareness because the conversations that the people who were leading the workshop sessions were saying things like, you are eligible for these government programs, so to speak. Hmm. So go apply for unemployment because these are people who have never been unemployed. They don't know anything about that. And they felt like that's not anything I would do. VPs and CEOs and heads of different 
global entities were in these rooms and we're in small groups talking and big auditoriums talking and the magnitude of what was occurring was unprecedented for all of us, I'll say, at that time. And what I took away from it was, okay, let's dial back a little bit. Let's take advantage of the things that I can take advantage of. But then let's also not forget the path we kind of set that we wanted to do. I just moved to North Carolina. I came here to go to NC State. You know, like all these things happen in the midst of me pursuing higher education And so I think the desire, so much of it, it feels like was pushed upon me because it wasn't my decision to leave. But I love the point you're making, Sherry, because, you know, in hindsight, now I can say it was a blessing. At the time, it definitely didn't feel like that. But it also took you taking advantage of it, right? Because you could have like hung up your hat and has been like, woe is me and this sucks or whatever. But instead you're like, okay, let's like finish, let's accelerate grad school. Let's look at these opportunities. So I'm just going to reiterate what Sherry said. It's really a credit to you and how you met this challenge that you had. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. And it's so interesting because I, I, I think too, when I go back to why I'm in this role that I'm in and I think about the experiences of our members and providers who, you know, do business with Blue Cross, you know, it can be overwhelming when you think about the magnitude of reasons why they contact us or need our support to help them navigate through the various processes. And you do need a sense of optimism to get through these things. And so those are the things I think that have enabled me to kind of solution in my own space, in my own realm, the things that I at least feel I have the the power to, to do. And I think that's another thing too, right? Of understanding what you have the power to change and, and what you can't. And, yes. and that's really, I think, where I've, where I've always landed is what can I change and what can I do something about and what can I do something about? And let's not worry about that stuff we can't do anything right. about. Let's take advantage of what we can and really... Right. And it's not always easy, right? I mean, it is not always easy to say, well, I'm just not going to worry about this thing that I can't control because sometimes that thing you can't control is having a really huge impact in not so great ways. Totally, totally. You know, and that for me, that's where my faith comes in. I have to just trust that God has the best for me. And as I get through whatever it is I'm going through, that on the other side of it, he's got the rest of it. Uh, And it's also some reasons why he'll come back and say, I got all of it. I'm going to handle these things. But you you got to take care of some of them yourself, right? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so I always have to like, because I'll, you know, want to divvy up. I'll play these two cards, God, you take these three. And he's like, no, they're all mine, really, girl. (laughs) (laughs) So really understanding the the role I have to to your point, I think you said it best of what I can control and what I can't and really allowing yourself not to waste your energy. I'm a big fan of energy and conserving mine to do the things that I know I can actually have an impact on. Yeah, right. right. So we've heard a lot about the pieces of your journey, which have been you not allowing yourself to get stuck in things that have happened and not 
holding yourself accountable to your 17-year-old self. And I know there have been other parts of your journey that you've had to navigate. One is being a woman in what are often male-dominated environments. And then add to that is being a woman of color. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that has factored into your journey and what role that has played and how you have approached that. Thank you for that. So a couple of things, I think, for me. One, I grew up in New York City, Staten Island, to be exact, for any New Yorkers out there. You always have to say which borough you're from. (laughs) thing. And I went to high school in Brooklyn and went to college in upstate New York. And there's something about growing up in New York City that just toughens your skin when it comes Mm. to race and ethnicity, because part of the the language of New York is race and ethnicity. You got to say who the person is, where they from, what they look like. You know, it's very much descriptive of race and ethnicity. And it's also, you know, at the time I grew up, you know, 80s and 90s, it was very, it's very segregated. Like it, mm. they want to call New York City the melting pot, but it's a melting pot where the carrots stay carrots <laughs> and the, you know, <laughs> potatoes stay potatoes. Nothing gets blended together in that mm. sense. And so race has been a uh, part of my journey from very early on. And, and I think the first memory I have that toughened me up was a move to an accelerated class level. So I was in the third grade and my teacher, my second grade teacher was really adamant about me moving to the accelerated class when, when I got to third grade. And it took a while. I had to take some tests. And I mean, these were like really, these were not like aptitude skill tests. These were I would call social tests. So etiquette tests, things like where does your fork go and where does really? Oh my gosh, yes. It was Uh very I remember it describing it to my parents when I got home and they were livid. And so my dad's like, Well, how'd you do? I'm like, I think I got it. (laughs) I just I just I gotta go on record and say I am pretty sure that at seven or eight years old, I could not have necessarily told anyone where the fork (laughs) is supposed to go other than in my mouth. Right. But the power of television, I credit a lot of this to television. And and when you hang with your grandmother, like I did, you watch a lot of old shows. So I kind of recall the things I saw on television, right? Not necessarily in my house. I mean, we set the table every night, but like I know salad fork from dinner fork and all this kind of crazy stuff. But anyway, the interesting part was, you know, of course, telling my parents and then coming back to school and having this council meeting with my parents and the teacher and them trying to get an understanding of why did I have to go through all of this when the other kids just got moved into the class Uh. and that the teacher had also recommended, right? So why did my child have to go through all these tests, which don't even seem applicable to education, but everybody else got moved in? So, you know, long story short, I got in the class and the teacher really resented that I got in. The new teacher. The new teacher. So my new third grade teacher really resented that I got in because the semester had started already. Mm. So it was almost like a a play, right? Of, oh, we got a delay because she's got to take these tests. And then I take the test and I'm 
now it's always too late. She needs to wait to the next semester. And my parents weren't having it. And they're like, she'll catch up. She'll get it. That kind of thing. But the, the piece of it is my parents were always very vocal with having the conversation with me about what was happening. Mm -hmm. And for them, because they were civil rights activists in their own right, making me aware of it because, you know, they, they saw the naivety in me of not even seeing that. Right. I'm a child. I'm just like, I just want to get in the class. You know, now Mm -hmm. my friends are in there and really making me pause and understand what the constructs were that I was working within so that I could do this and and I guess not be harmed and is what they were looking at. And that experience I've seen over and over again. So there's always these explanations as to why. So Sherry and I, when we reconnected for the bold move, I was in a place where I was trying to pursue getting to the director level. And I couldn't understand why I was not getting this job. Mm. And the person they brought in was a young white male to do the job. And then I had the privilege of for the next year and a half of telling him everything he needed to do to do the job because he didn't know the job. It really was clear to me that I wasn't the archetype that they were looking for to do that work. And, you know, at that time you weren't having those conversations. And I feel like today there's space to do that. Yeah. With the episodes that have happened within our society the last few years have really forced organizations to have that conversation. And I have taken full advantage of that because I don't want the Aishas to come. My name is another piece of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, do you have a nickname? And I'm like, no, I nope, don't. That's it's, my name. That's it. It's five letters. It's <laughs> not hard. Yes. And so really understanding how, I don't know if it was racism per se, but I definitely feel the bias, right, of being a person of color, of being a woman. You know, we've all experienced this. You say something and then no, there's nothing, no effect in the room. Then the other next person, a male says. And you're like, I just said that. It drives me nuts. Yes. It drives me nuts. So I've experienced that too. And just really have done the work to really hold people accountable to thoughts and ideas that I feel are, are in the lane of bias. And then also advocating for myself. And so it's really been a... A, a part of my journey that I think sometimes I don't even recognize I'm doing or the role I'm playing in those conversations and, and in those rooms once I started getting access. So things I've done, you know, aside from this work here, it's also been getting mentors who don't look like me. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that has been pivotal. And I tell uh, people of color that all the time. I tell women all that all the time. You know, have a man as a mentor. Like they're yep. they're already in the room. Those are people you want mm. you want to talk to. Well, that's right. And it also is sort of it, it, it's also um kind of a decoding, right? Because to the degree it's a boys club or a white boys club or whatever the definition, like having somebody on your side, it's like, oh, is that how the game is played? Is that what we right. need to do? Right? Yes. 
totally, totally. And, you know, that has served me well, so much that they move from mentors to what I think industry calls us sponsors, right? So they're advocating for me in the room before I can get there. I think that's a large part in me achieving this level within the company was having someone advocate for me, push forward my ideas, give me credit. Like all of those things that you do, you should just do anyway, regardless of what the person looks like and just being a good steward, right? Well, and you're speaking both to people seeking mentors Mentors, but also, I mean, now you are in that position, right? And you've already talked about your mentees. So it's both sides. It's it's the side of seeking, you know, a diverse board of directors is often what yeah. I call it. People that yeah. look like me, people that don't, people are in yeah. my organization, people that are out. Yeah. But now that you are kind of in this more position of authority and power, and I'm speaking to all of our listeners here as well, like now it's also keep your mentors, yes, but now it's also time to reach back and help others, right? Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. I think it's incumbent upon you to do that. And then the joy too, as they achieve and accelerate and do bigger and better things, I I get so much joy from that. And, And that's the piece that I love to see is when they take my advice or don't take my advice and they stew a little bit longer or then they finally take it. And it's like, they just, you know, are reborn. I right. love seeing that. It, it's like to know I had a part in that. It brings me just such great joy. So yes, absolutely. Right. And while our listeners can only hear your voice, what they can't mm-hmm. see is the way you are just lighting up when you are talking <laughs> about mentoring people, right? And advocating and celebrating and promoting other people. And I don't just mean promoting in the technical sense of the word, right? You are, you are just lighting up. The other thing that you've said that is so important and Anne commented on it, and I want to just say one other thing about it is this idea of seeking out people who are different than you in both directions, because there is something about human nature where we're drawn to people we automatically feel comfortable with. There's a comfort, whether that means like, oh, I already know this person loves jazz, right? So we can start the conversation on music or this person has had a similar experience as I have had. And so there's, there's an ease to that. And there is so much more richness in the get to know people who are different than you in every possible way that somebody could be different. And I also think not making a so just because somebody is a white woman does not necessarily mean they have similar experiences, right? And so that's what I mean. Diversity of all kinds is critically important. Absolutely. And that's the other thing too, and I'm so glad you said that because I, like I said, I grew up in New York City. My life experience to, from, from the next black woman is a different experience who may have grown up here in North Carolina in Charlotte or Raleigh. Like, Oh, no, we don't we don't necessarily have the same story. Um, and and so I think those assumptions, to your point, you lose out on people. Right. And so I challenge all the time. You know, I even have a challenge before me to look at some different mentors and start kind of swapping out people. So just because I keep a board of directors as well and and really start looking to other individuals. And Sherry is spot on. There's a bit of anxiety, I feel like. I don't know what I'm going to talk to this person about, you know? But what's cool about it is you never know until you try, right? Because who knows? Just because they they look completely different, who knows? Maybe they grew up in, in New York. Like, you just don't know. 
in society, we're so, we try to be very careful now, you know, to your point, like before we just didn't talk about race or, you know, like it just wasn't spoken about. Right. And then, you know, there's a big, huge social justice movement. And now there's just a little bit of being careful. And I actually think it's so much more helpful. Even if I stumble, even if I say something dumb, you. at least I'm trying to get it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's this whole, the whole concept of understanding and having grace, seeking to understand, yes. doing your own work to understand, and then coming to the table where like, help me with this. What does this mean? You know, I, I sit on a work group internally that is looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I tell them all the time, this is not, I did not go to school for this. So yeah, I need y'all to help me. Yeah, I am not an expert. I'm just trying to lend one voice to the table of what I've experienced or what I see and use my currency, right, to help foster this work. Yeah. So give me some grace on the terms and what a thing is called, as I don't know. And and let's be transparent about that. And that, I think, has just given everybody a place to breathe and say, OK, sure. good. Uh, my intention is not to harm you. My intention is not to say the wrong thing. Right. Else I wouldn't be here. Right. But it is about, you know, how do we get to that? And also understanding that there are some people who don't want anything to do with that. That's right. Right. And that goes back to my what I can't control, what I can't, right. I'm not, let's keep moving forward with this right. work. You know, Aisha, I'm really struck by, you've, you've mentioned, you know, your relationship with God as you understand your God. And, and I'm curious, you exhibit so much wisdom and so much strength. And I'm curious, do you have other practices that mm. really help ground you and give you some of these abilities to see things from different perspectives and, you know, all of the great work that you've done. And so I'd love to hear, and I'm sure listeners would love to hear either if it's through your spirituality or something else, what are the things that really help keep you grounded, especially when there's these twists and turns in your life? So first off, yes, my relationship with God is, is number one. And that definitely, as I, as I shared, he talks to me like, uh, an old wise woman sometimes, <laughs> like, girl, girl, you're not doing that. We're not doing that. You know, so I'm like, okay, because I thought that was a good idea. He's like, no, no. <laughs> not so much. <laughs> yes. So that, and, and you know, for, because of that journaling I've done for as long as I can remember, I remember my first journal that I bought or diary that we called back in, as a with young the little girl. lock. Yes. <laughs> I still have it. My sister broke mine. My older sister. And that's the, that was my second entry that she read the first the first entry. <laughs> but I didn't care because I was gonna still write. And so that is I won't say it's a daily exercise, but it's certainly a weekly exercise that I do. I've tried daily and I think that's the thing for people who are not journalers who to know that if if you don't do it daily like that, whatever your rhythm is, just do that. Yes. Start somewhere, right? Somewhere, start somewhere. Cause there was a time I did it when things happened and I'd like write for days and have pages and pages of this, whatever episode I was dealing with, because it was that much. And now I've gotten into this space in my life where it's a weekly kind of exercise where Mm. I kind of reflect on the week. What did I, you know, what did I accomplish and what did I not accomplish? And what are my prayers as well for the go forward? Uh, And so that is a huge part of my kind of keeping me healthy. I also 
go see a therapist every week. I talk to my therapist every week. And I think, you know, we underestimate mental health with all the things. And and I'm that person in my family that is the solutioner, the peacemaker. And so that carries a lot of weight with the type of work that I do. And then to have that kind of function in the family, I've always looked to mental health therapists to help me through my journey. So I can remember as early as in my 20s, seeing a therapist to just talk through like, I was deciding to go back to school. I'm like, I'm about to leave Texas and move to North Carolina. I don't know anybody there. Like, am I crazy? Like, like help me. And she's like, there's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) (laughs) So really just, you know, taking care of yourself are the other things, you know, people talk about upkeep versus care, and they are definitely different. There are things we do to keep ourselves up, which are like, for me, that's, you know, going to get a manicure and my eyebrows wax, like that's just upkeep. Care, right, is, you know, making sure I actually go get a massage Mm. or pay a little extra for that extended pedicure or, you know, take in a movie or go for a walk. In a, like a place I don't normally walk, like yeah. you know, doing things that I, on my own I, and doing solo trips, I think are a big part of me, of keeping mm. me, I do so much outpouring that it, the recovery for me is sometimes a weekend long thing mm. that I just need to like go someplace where I don't know anybody. I don't got to talk. I can just like, <laughs> right. Just focus on me. And so those are things that I like to do periodically as well to kind of keep myself centered. And I just think if you're if you're really listening to your body, she'll tell you or he'll tell you like this don't feel good. Fix it. You know, that doesn't feel good when we're around these people or you when you said this, it didn't it didn't resonate. Listen, listen. And, and, and respond accordingly. You know what I love what you're saying is you had some very foundational things like writing in my journal and my relationship with God and listening to the wisdom that I hear. And then it's like, and I'm also going to get the extended pedicure and I'm going to take myself away. And so it's not just one thing, right? I mean, you're really speaking about being the whole person. Absolutely. I love that. And that's the thing. It's so hard for me to answer questions like, what brings you joy? I'm like, oh, I got like a whole handful of things. That, you know, like there's no but one that thing. in of itself is a massive skill, right? Because right. some people are like, I don't know, what does bring me joy? To me, it is multi. It's multi. So one thing I am struck by is how much grace you give yourself. Mm-hmm. And it came up earlier where you were talking about a lot of grace for other people's experiences, right? And understanding Mm -hmm. different people. Mm -hmm. But in just listening to you talk about yourself, you give yourself a lot of grace as well. And that, that is just so beautiful to witness in somebody else. Thank you. It is a, it has been a learned experience. I think being a child who, who was always seeking to achieve and excel and make my parents proud has been something that I, that I had to understand when I didn't make make the list, right? When I didn't achieve the thing to not beat myself up about it. Because I think we get enough of that. Like, you don't mm-hmm. want to also add to it. And I, someone once said, like, 
how you would speak to your best friend or your your uh, loved one should be how you're speaking to yourself. And I just think that is absolutely true. You need to be in a space where you are not berating yourself about something you said or did because it usually, you know, doesn't have the same magnitude that you think it really does with right. other people. And so it's been incredibly important to me, Sherry, to really extend that same level of support and listening that I give to other people and grace that I give to other people to myself because I'm not perfect. And also to take perfect off. I put perfect in the corner. Good. He can <laughs> like do her own thing over there, but like we can't play together. And I have to do, I have to kick her out of the play about every now and then <laughs> because perfect will make you procrastinate and she will make you talk negatively to yourself That's and right. miss opportunities because you she doesn't and think you're good enough. And so sometimes perfect can't play. And That's right. so I, I really try to be mindful of that because I have high expectations for myself. I have high expectations for the people I work with, my family. I, I expect everybody to do a great job, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. But also, you got to know that it doesn't always work out that way, that we are whole people who have things that are happening inside of work, outside of work. And it requires, and especially, I think more so than anything, I'll say this, this last two years, if you have not understood the power of grace, I don't know when you will. That's right. Right? So important. Aisha, I'm thinking about little you (laughs) and sitting with grandma or Gerald's daughter sitting there trying to achieve and excel, like you just said a moment ago. And I'm wondering if you could go back and whisper in little Aisha's ear, any words of wisdom or advice, would you share anything with her? Oh, yes. And of course it probably would be one thing, but I try to get in as much as I could in whatever time I had, you know, one of the, the things when I think about a question like that, and probably it doesn't come across in all the amazing things you all said about me, is fear. Mm. And Ayala Van Zant once said, fear is false evidence appearing real. Mm. And that stuck with me. Like I I latched on to that. That's like, this thing is not real. It's almost like the boogeyman, right? And so it has always been this, you may feel scared, but we're going to do it anyway. And so that's yeah. what I would tell her that don't be afraid of all the things. They may be bigger than you and smarter than you and faster than you, but it's okay because you can still do it your way. So so really understanding that Aisha path is what's most important and not the paths that are next to me or ahead of me or things like that. But the path that I'm on is mine and mine alone and to not be afraid. Oh, I love that. I think that's good advice, not just for little Aisha, but for so many people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So many times, and especially in this time we're in, the great resignation where so many people are leaving jobs and going to other things and pursuing dreams. And it's a great 
thing. Yeah. And it's so easy to compare yourself. Like, oh, she started writing her book. I, I've been wanting to write a book. Oh, oh, he's got a podcast. I, I've been wanting to have a podcast. Like, don't, don't do that. If it's your time, then do it. Do what you're doing, right? Like, and be okay with that. And and that's, you know, the thing of it is, is don't compare, focus on you. And you it's amazing how the fear dissipates when you do that and you just stay in your lane with your work. And that is such a perfect note to end things on. Aisha, thank you so much for being with us today. This has just been a fantastic conversation. And that wraps up our episode for today. We really hope you enjoyed it and would love if you shared our podcast with a friend, gave us a rating on iTunes or posted it to your own social media. Please join us next time for Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life.